There we go. <laughs> well, good morning again. Welcome back to Licking River Baptist Church. Uh, we're so excited that you're joining with us on our online campus today. Today uh, is going to begin uh, the lightning round. Uh, I'm going to uh, call it that, but uh, with all of the complications that we have uh, uh, seen from weather and everything, I am now behind to start our Easter uh, series on March 7th. So uh, you're not going to want to miss Wednesday when I play catch up. Uh, Don't miss this Wednesday on our online campus when I play uh, catch up uh, with these Beatitudes. So uh, today we're going to continue our study through the Beatitudes. And uh, as I mentioned before, we're going to finish them because on March 7th, uh, we are beginning our Easter series where we are going to walk through the final life of Christ. Uh, Then we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount after that. I feel like the Beatitudes is the perfect place to pause and move on to Easter. Uh, And so the Easter series that we're going to be looking at, I have called worthy because Christ is worthy. And it is only through him that we are then deemed worthy. I feel like so many times in our lives, and especially the younger generations, we try to find our worth in so many different things apart from God. And so we are going to look at our Easter series, Worthy. But today, we're going to look at being pure in heart. And what does that mean? mean? And how do we do that? Have we ever had impure thoughts or maybe anger or hatred or, or, or lust? Does that then mean that we are separated then from our salvation? If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read all the Beatitudes just like we have been, but I want you to focus in with me on verse 8. Read with me in Matthew chapter 5. Begin with me in verse 2. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Look here. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for today. God, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have today to come and to to open up your word, Father, in a virtual campus. And Lord, right now I pray. God, I pray so selfishly that, God, you might take the, the message today. And God, you might find a way for it to reach somebody who needs to hear it today. Lord, I pray that, God, you'll just use our means of of, of being able to be on the internet. Father, I pray that you'll use that to take the message, to take the gospel today to where it needs to go. Father, I pray that as we look at being pure in heart, that, Lord, you might show us what exactly that means. And, Father, I pray that you'll take me, you will hide me behind the cross, Father. 
God, I pray that what is heard today might be you speaking to your children. God, I pray that nothing today can be anything of, of opinion, Father, but what you are working and moving. Lord, I just pray today that, Father, you will just, God, make us a pure in heart through your son, Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> a man by the name of uh, William Chalmers Burns was born in 1815 to the son of a, uh, he was the son of a, of a famous Scottish evangelist. And he was absolutely not interested in following his father's footsteps. Instead, he decided he was going to have an academic success. He was going to study law. He wanted to do nothing to do with the gospel. He wanted nothing to do with that God. He wanted nothing to do with the Jesus that his dad talked about. And soon he found great fortune in it. Uh, he, he, would, he would take on any case, ethical or not, and, and would amount himself a fortune. Now, I'm not saying that all lawyers are, are, are this way, but he was as seedy and, and as wretched as lawyers come. His father was severely disappointed in him. Late one night, he overheard his father praying. And, and as his father was praying, he whispered this. He said, there can be no doubt of where his heart is or where he is going. This haunted Burns. In fact, on, on January 7th, 1831, while uh, reading uh, Persuasives to Early Piety by George Pike, uh, he, Burns was overcome with Jesus' glory and surrendered his heart to Christ. Eventually, over time, he fell less in love with law and more in love with Jesus. God implanted a desire in, in Burns to preach and just as his father did, he tried to run from it. And he wanted to be a missionary in India. But God would place him at the center of the Scottish revivals of the 1830s. Eventually, in, 18, uh, in 1847, he would be sent to China as a missionary. He would spend the rest of his life. In 1868, he was diagnosed as terminally ill. Burns had this transformation in his life. He no longer loved the study of law after God has invaded his life. Christ was purifying his heart and making it so that he would be able to lead others to him. Today, I want us to look at what it means to have a pure heart. And moreover than that, how do we get one? How do we attain a pure heart? Look with me in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We have this word again, blessed, makarios. We, we've studied this word and how radical it was that Jesus began teaching at the Sermon on the Mount to these people. Understand this, these people who had been beaten down. These people who were told that it wasn't Worthy that they weren't worthy that nothing they did in life would amount to a whole much of anything because of their status because of their stature and Jesus began preaching to these people and saying to them blessed are you and then we have here the, the, the pure in heart catharios cardia those that are spotless or unsoiled open free cleared away heart Christ, again, is speaking in ways that would challenge everything that people knew as their status quo. 
because it was different. It was, it was unheard of. And so we're, we're going to break this into two, two viewpoints, I should say, because with the Beatitudes, there are people who take them as a more word-for-word uh, word literal, and there are people that, that understand in the context of, of, of the spiritual significance of the Bible. But we're going to look at it, and there's two popular interpretations of this verse. We have the moral cleanliness of the heart and the spiritual cleanliness of the heart. So I want us first to look at this idea of a moral cleanliness. Because this, no doubt, this would have been what the people were thinking of. This, as Christ would have been saying this, this would have been exactly what the people were beginning to think of. But what I want you to see is that what Christ preaches in the Sermon on the Mount is backed up later in Scripture and led back to the cross. Everything that Christ is talking about today can be directly led to the cross. But as we look at moral cleanliness, we have to look at this definition as an absence of impurity or filth in one's life. So if we can just act good enough or if we can be pure enough, then we then can be pure of heart. This then says that if you act good enough, you can then in turn earn your ticket to heaven. If you can, if you can be pure enough then we can then earn ourselves into way to heaven. So if you can go throughout your life and you can maybe not get angry at the person who cuts you off or you know, maybe as you're coming around Gun Creek around the corner and this giant truck runs you off the road, you might not be mad at them. Maybe you've trained yourself to be that. I'm not there yet. Guess I'm not getting into heaven this way. But there's a problem with this thinking. There's a significant problem with this thinking in Scripture. In Romans 3, Paul quotes Psalm 14 and tells us that there is no one righteous. No, not even one. So, how then do we rationalize what Christ is speaking versus what, what Paul is speaking? As you know, the Pauline letters are, are so important for us to understand what is called doctrine. Now, I know that's, a, that's an evil word in the church. Some people are like, I can just go through my life and don't even none of study no doctrine. You study doctrine every time you open up the Bible. Every time you read anything in the Bible, you are studying doctrine. So what we need to understand then, and what Paul is saying, is that no one is righteous. No, not even one. What is being inferred here is that mankind, left to their own devices, left to our own selves, will never discover the root of a pure heart. But you say, Clay, I'm, I'm a good person. I give money to the poor. I take care of all of that. That's great. You still have a wicked heart. There is none righteous. We cannot be under our own ability to share in our salvation, to earn ourselves salvation. Because here's the point. If then we can earn our own salvation, we can lose our salvation. If then we can earn our own salvation, we then are under our own power to lose our salvation. Because if we leave it up to a finite thing such as man's heart, then it is completely impractical to believe that one time you did one thing good, you are eternally secured. Sorry, it's not good enough. All of the goodness, all of our good deeds will amount to nothing. To, to, to use a turn of phrase, it'll amount to a hill of beans. Nothing. 
It puts too much power inside man's control. If we then take over our power of salvation by saying that we ourselves can attain this, then we are telling ourselves that we in turn control our eternal destiny instead of Jesus, instead of God. It's a trivial thing at that point, salvation is. and It's being made to be cast aside. Being pure in heart is not a trivial thing. It cannot be accomplished by determination. We can't just live our lives. Because think about this. Think about, think about it this way. If we ourselves believe in this philosophy, if we then ourselves put, this, put ourselves in this philosophy, imagine this. Imagine you have lived a great life. You are, you, are, you are 99 years old. You are at death's door. You are at the end of your life. And you remember something. You remember that guy that made fun of you in school or whatever it might have been. And you feel just a little pang of hatred for that man. Guess what? Your, tino, your entire eternity is then forfeit. If we believe in this kind of philosophy by saying that man has the capability of achieving pureness, holiness, as Jen talked about, then we then take too much power into ourselves. But no, no, no. Look at this. Look at 1 John 3. 1 John 3. Look with me in verse 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, are we, uh, we are God's children now, and, and I'm sorry, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that he appears to us and we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are called to purify ourselves. But this verse points us to the one who does the purifying. It isn't us. Look here. It says the world does not know us is because it did not know him. What we define as purity in today's society, in today's world, has nothing to do with what God begins to define purity as. It is only after God makes us pure through his rejuvenation that can only happen through salvation that we can begin to understand pureness. This verse calls us to be pure in hearts, which quickly leads us to the root of the problem. We're not. Christ is speaking, blessed are you who are pure in heart. Whoops. Guess I messed up that one. We don't have to be taught to sin. Nothing. nothing. You don't go to school and learn how to sin. Look at this. My daughter, who is one years old, knows how to sin. In fact, she knows what she's doing too. She looks at me. You tell her no. You, you say no. Don't do that. Don't do that. She looks at you and does it. We don't have to be taught to sin. If we believe this moral ability to, to, to understand our pureness, where does it manifest itself? Where's the line that we begin to see? The heart. 
Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, there are three verses in Romans that I want us to look at to help us see what the heart is. Because we believe that the heart is the center of personality. And it, inv- it involves the, 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 the will, the mind, and the emotions. First look at me in Romans 1, verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, although they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Your Bible might say hardened in that. Here we can see that man's heart is already clouded by sin. You know why? Because we live in a sinful world. We don't have to go far to find sin. You don't have to go very far to find sin, by the way. Doesn't, doesn't take very, you don't have to like look for it. Romans 2 verse 5, it says, But because of your hard and impudent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment is, uh, will be revealed. We can see that our heart is stubborn. Our heart holds a stubbornness in our will. Finally, in Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This shows us that the heart is the seat of our emotions. The heart is the center of man's personality, the emotions, the stubbornness, the will. And we have a terrible saying in America. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. But in reality, the heart is the most deceitful organ we've got. I understand. You're saying, Clay, you're just not being scientific about all this. I know there's probably someone. I understand that what we refer to as the heart is a chemical reaction in our brains. But by proxy, we, we, we attribute it to our heart and our understanding. Left to our own understanding, we are fools. Hear that again. Left to our own understanding, we are fools. We are completely unable to comprehend an eternal, an eternal complexity. That is God. That would be like saying, hey Clay, tell me everything about God. Not everything you know, but everything about God. And you sit there and you have to scratch your head for a minute and say, well, uh, I don't know. Because our brains cannot comprehend, our understanding cannot comprehend the complexity of the eternalness that is God. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is the most deceitful above all things. And I'm paraphrasing here. It cannot be trusted or understood. So our heart is the base of our personality. It is also connected to our speech. You ever notice how your mind tends to think about things that you fill it with? For example, think about this. You love to fish. Oh, you live to fish. What do you think about? You think about fishing. When it's weather like this, it's cold, it's icy. You're thinking, ho, 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 three months till I can go fishing. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. If you, if you focus yourself on earthly, sinful, terrible things, what does your mind think about? 
How can your mind then look past what's in your heart into what God has for you? Think about it this way. Your spouse, like I said, if you think about fish, you you love fish, your spouse then takes you out to a river or a lake and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful scenery. And your wife's like, honey, look at this scenery. It's so beautiful. You know, the first thing you notice that underground bush right there that all the fish are probably around right there. You're thinking, oh, buddy, I thought I just had a fishing pole. Oh, I could cast in. Our mind is consumed by what we are passionate about. We are called to purify our hearts, which means our passions should be that of reflecting Christ. When Christ comes into us, our passions should be reflecting that of Christ. But more often than not, they're not. More often than not, our passions are focused on the things that have nothing to do with Christ. Now, that's not saying you can't be passionate about things. But what I'm saying is that God has given us each gifts. If we could take those passions and use them for him, how amazing the world would be. But let's not get distracted here. In a moral understanding of our heart, we are focused on purity. And salvation cannot be afforded to us because it is distraction because it's not our heart is not pure our hearts are deceitful and wicked what hope is there for us to be pure if we look at this from a moral cleanliness standpoint we are focused on ourselves to attain then to attain then our holiness and we will fail we will fail but look here I want to tell you today that there is hope. I want you to see that this is not about morality. But I want us to see the spiritual cleanliness. You see, Christ spent this entire sermon pointing pointing things out. And what we have to understand thus far is that he's pointing out not to be a reflection. How do I put this? He's pointing things out to show us. Our sin and our desperate need for a savior, just as the old, this is the Ten Commandments were. But more than that, he is foreshadowing the solution. He is foreshadowing the solution. As we get further into the Sermon on the Mount, we see Christ begin to speak on things. And Christ begin to work and to move. You see, Christ spent this entire sermon telling us of our desperate need of a savior. The answer is that God. And only God can make us pure. So when I talk about a spiritual holiness, it it only comes through the fact of an encounter with God, a surrender to Christ, that we can be then be made pure in heart through the rejuvenation, through the wonderful, amazing Christ, amazing uh, sanctification that happens. You can begin trying to cleanse our own heart, but whether we turn to ethics or religious or, 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 or acupuncture or whatever you try to use for that, you will find it as corrupt as it was in the beginning. We can try all sorts of things. You can buy all the self-help books that you can find in a bookstore about how to clean yourself up or how to do this or how to do that. Can I tell you today that without Jesus, it is futile. It is absolutely futile. Only God can cleanse our hearts from its impurities. And we see this in Psalms. David David knew this. 
David understood God better than most of the Old Testament people. In Psalm 51, he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God. That should be our prayer all the time. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That first part's awesome, but it's the second part that I want you to, to see this in. David didn't just pray for a pure heart. He prayed to God, let me keep it. Let me be just as motivated as I was. God, help me to see and to do and to be for you. God does this for all that have believed in Jesus Christ. He does it in the moment of our belief. It's absolutely miraculous. He does it practically during the moments of our earthly life as we continue to go through life. And we urge uh, to an abandonment to the Holy Spirit. We, are, we have an urging to an abandonment. But you know what's awesome is in the moment of our death, He will completely do it. Because in the moment of our death, we will stand to be judged. And there will be no fault found for those that are in Jesus because Jesus took it all. Mm. We talk about having a pure heart no matter what you've done, no matter how many things that you've done in your life. Jesus wipes that slate clean. He's the one that creates the pure heart. For they shall see God. We have this assurance. We strive now to please Him, to see Him increasingly, to, to, to make ourselves increasingly pure. We call it sanctification in the church. But can I urge you today, you will never be as perfect as you will be the moment of your death. <laughs> the moment of your death will be a glorious and wonderful time. Because you get to worship with your Savior. You get to worship with a God who loves you. Our hearts can only be purified through Jesus. And in a single moment of surrender, we are made pure in the sight of God. And while we are not perfect, we are being transformed by Christ through our lives. Can I urge you today, I'm not perfect. Can I urge you today that if I was, was looking at morality, if I was judging myself as morality, I am a failure. I am an absolute, utter failure today. But because of Jesus, I will stand blameless before the throne of God. Because of Jesus, because of the blood that was shed on the cross, in the moment he took all the sin of all of humanity upon himself, I will stand blameless on the cross. This is the point of our Easter series. We are made worthy because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Because without him, we are nothing. Without him, we are fleeting. We are worthless. We have to understand that apart from Christ, we will never experience God's love. Blessed is a pure heart because a pureness that can only come from a transformative, amazing encounter with Jesus is a purity that cannot be achieved by an earthly definition. 
by man's definition, by our own wants, by our own needs, and it's a purity that is discouraging to those that have never experienced it. Hear that again. This, this, this purity that Christ offers is discouraging to those who have never experienced it because they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> they think it requires so much. Can I tell you today that someone is struggling, trying to make themselves good enough, starving themselves, working themselves, trying so hard to make themselves good enough. Can I, can I urge you today to let that person know, maybe you are that person. Can I tell you today that Jesus said you are good enough? Jesus said that you are worthy. In fact, he looked at you in your very worst, your absolute worst moment that you've ever had in your life. And he looked at you and he said, I love you. I'm doing this so that you can be restored. We try so hard to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves good enough. But Christ is already telling us that we're here. He's there for us. We don't have to clean ourselves up to come to Christ. He does the cleaning. I don't remember where I heard it this week, but a preacher was preaching and he said, we tell people that they're welcomed wherever they're at in life, that we are, that they're, that they're always welcomed. And it's true, churches should say that. Churches, everyone should always be welcomed into the church. But here's the problem, what is true, is that people should never leave the same. When people come in, when you experience the word of God, you should not leave the same. God's word should do a transformative and amazing thing in your life. Begin to change your mindset. Begin to change your heart. Begin to show you things. And you know why the people that are discouraged because of this pureness is they feel that it is an attack on them. They feel like the gospel is, is attacking them because of the sin in their lives. They don't understand that Jesus and Jesus alone lets that sin go. Let's that sin go. Let says, I have covered it. I have already forgiven it. Talk about a word propitiation, which means just the blotting out, the eraser of that sin. See, when Jesus crashes into your life, you will not and you cannot ever be the same. Maybe you're here this morning and this is you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Clay, I know where you're coming from, but I'm just not good enough. I've just got to clean myself up enough, Clay. I'm just not prepared. Can I tell you that Jesus has already prepared it for you? Jesus has already put the work in. That he's been sitting there. He's been loving you. He's been beside you all of your life. And he is just standing there and he's saying, come to me. But you've been saying, I've got to do this on my own. I've got to suffer. I deserve to suffer. I deserve to hurt. I deserve to feel this way. No, you don't. Because Christ already said that he loves you. Christ already said that he cares for you. And Christ already said, come. Can I urge you today? If you are here today and you never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ today, today is the day. There's no more preparing to be done. Jesus, if Jesus is calling to you today, today's the day. 
Today's the day. Maybe you're here today. You've been a Christian for several years. And honestly, things are, are, are good. Things are great. But honestly, if you're being honest with yourself, you've forgotten that steadfastness as David preached. As David said, create in me a, sted, uh, 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 create in me a new heart and give me a steadfastness. Maybe you forgot about that steadfastness today. Can I urge you today to bring that steadfastness back? Urge God to create in you the clean heart again. We've already done that through salvation. But ask for that second part of the steadfastness. God, make you the most important thing in my life again. Maybe you're here today. Whatever the situation might be, we're about to have what's called the time of invitation where Emma's going to come and she's going to sing. Can I urge you today that if God is moving in your life and there is a decision that you would like to make, let us know. I don't do this so that we can brag or we can do any of this. I do this so I can pray for you. Because I'll give you a warning. The moment you surrender yourself to God, the moment you surrender yourself to Christ, the devil takes notice. And I want to be praying God's protection around you. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to just come today. And Lord, I pray today that, Father, you are doing a mighty work. God, I pray that as we go into our time of invitation this morning, Father, you speak. Lord, I selfishly pray that no one will hear anything else but you speaking in this time of invitation. God, I know that there's someone here today. Father, they, you are working in their hearts. You are working in their lives. God, there is a decision to be made. And Lord, I pray today that God, you will speak to that person. God, you will surrender their heart to you. Father, I pray today that, Lord, as you are moving and you are working, Father, I pray that, God, we are listening. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.